0: Hi everybody! Welcome to another episode of the Disablest Report, brought to you by the Disablest Network. Um, now, if you're interested in following us on any kind of social media, like uh, Facebook um, or any of us on uh, Twitter, you can find me at Disablest Kyle on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook just at Disablest, spelled D-I-S-A-B-L-E-I-S-T. Uh, You can check out our website at disablist.org, spelled the same way. Um, And also on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel now, so we upload all of this to there. And if you're a podcast kind of person, um, we upload everything to all the various podcast platforms. So with all of that stuff out of the way, I would like to welcome... Um, my dear friend Andy Marceau, which I have not talked to in a really long time. Andy, it's so good to see you. Um, Would you mind giving us like a brief introduction about yourself and also telling us about your diagnosis and all that kind of stuff? Sure, sure. great to
1: see you too, Kyle. Thanks for having me. So um, my name is Andy Marceau. I I grew up in Minnesota and then I went to the University of Kansas for college and uh, during my senior year, um right when I was about to graduate I came down with uh bacterial meningitis, a form that uh went into my bloodstream and um made me very sick very quickly. <clears throat> um and I ended up uh having uh, amputations of uh, all of my toes, basically the front half of both feet, and uh all of my fingers except for my right thumb. So you can kind of see what I'm working with there. <laughs> So, that was 2004, so it's been, you know, 17 years now. Um, I spent a good portion of that first year in physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, and then since then, a lot of years just sort of learning to adapt to um, my, my current functionality, which is, at this point, pretty good, I think, so... That's uh, that's the, the story in a nutshell, but I'm happy to go into more detail on anything.
0: Yeah, no, well, I mean, we're going to get into that anyway, <laughs> so that's okay. But yeah, you know, becoming an amputee, um, you know, adapting is the name of the game, right? Like, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's what we kind of live our, live our lives by. Um, now, I haven't had the opportunity to talk uh, much yet about meningitis, and so that's why I was super excited to have you on here because, you know, we both can... Uh, you know, kind of just like talk about our own experiences, um, but kind of what I wanted to start off uh, talking about was um, meningitis has a lot of different um, ways that it can manifest itself, right? So, um, would you mind talking about some of the side effects that result from meningitis, other than like amputations?
1: Right. So, um, I think you know where the disease gets its name is the meninges in the brain, um, and and also I guess in the in the spinal cord, but. So, in a lot of cases, if that in, that bacterial infection travels up into your brain, you can get your brain will swell up, and you can end up with brain damage and uh, vision loss or hearing loss. There's actually quite a few, um, you know, researchers who believe that maybe Helen Keller had uh, meningitis as a child, and that's how she lost her vision and hearing. Um, so, I was fortunate to avoid all of those effects. Um, When I, that first day, when I was really very, very sick, um, the first test they actually did at the hospital was a CT scan of my brain um, to see if, you know, anything was happening up there. And that came back negative. So uh, I lucked out on that score. But another way it can manifest itself is that, you know, it'll travel from your spinal fluid into your bloodstream, which is what happened in my case. And so, you get what's called sepsis, which is essentially blood poisoning, <clears throat> and in my case, and it's fairly relatively common with meningococcal disease, you know, the, the bacteria traveled throughout my entire body, and as my body attacked it, it released toxins that essentially burned like thousands of little holes in my blood vessels, and so then my body was frantically trying to clot up all of those holes and it's this cycle called disseminated intravascular coagulation, which is just where you have, you know, out-of-control clotting, and so you end up in, especially your smaller blood vessels and, like, your extremities and your fingers, your toes, they'll be entirely closed over. You get no blood flow. And so I was in a, a medically induced coma for, for about three weeks, and by the time I woke up, you know, and the the surgeons explained what had happened they said you know your, your limbs have been without blood for the better part of a month now and so when we take these bandages off your arms and legs you're going to see you have the equivalent of third degree burns over 30% of your body mm-hmm. and when they unspooled those bandages it was like from, from just above both of my knees all the way to the tips of my toes and from just above both elbows all the way down, um, skin was just blackened. It, it did look like the most severe burn you can imagine. Yeah. And so um, it was clear, although I didn't want to believe it at the beginning, it was clear that I was going to lose some parts of all of my limbs. Yeah, um, It would have been essentially you know a miracle if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the question just for... The next basically three months was how
0: much of my limbs I was going to lose. So, you know, what was that like being in the hospital for that long? I mean, it was terrible <laughs> in yeah, a lot of ways. Yeah, it was, yeah,
1: yeah. you know, an entire summer of my life where pretty much every day I was either going in for these debridement treatments, I was in the burn unit, and mm-hmm. debridement is where they, they, take you they strip you down they put you in a big metal tub Mm. they start spraying down the damaged areas with water to try and sterilize them and then they just start slicing off all that dead tissue Mm. until they get down to something that bleeds because at that point they know like okay well this is still alive
0: fun stuff and
1: yeah I mean it's it's really incredibly traumatic and like I was awake for that I Mm. mean I was on really heavy painkillers but I could see what they were doing and it was I mean it was it's bloody and it's painful and it's just it's horrible but there's no other option other than just you know lopping off your limbs and and i went into it knowing like i want to save as much of my limbs as possible yeah so i ended up having i think probably eight surgeries in the course of about four months and actually there were none that first month because I was just in ICU so in, in about three months eight surgeries including the amputations but also a lot of skin grafting because after they would do all that debridement some areas like you can kind of see on my right arm there's some areas where it just scars over on yep. its own it's really sort of pronounced scarring Yep. and then there are areas like this where um, it wouldn't scar over on its own so they had to put a skin graft on it yep. and usually in my case they were taking the top layer of skin from my thighs because that skin was still relatively intact mm-hmm. and then they would uh, staple it on to this this area and so yeah i mean i was like basically patched together like monster <laughs> for, yeah. for a while there i mean it, it was pretty gruesome and um yeah nothing nothing could have prepared me for it really it was just this is what you need to do if you want to, you know, try and save your limbs.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, and that's the, the nature of meningitis, too. I think that a lot of people don't necessarily understand if they don't have a lot of exposure or knowledge about it, is that it, like, dude, it's so freaking aggressive, man. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're, if you don't get it under control or whatever, what you, you can go in, like, in a day or something like that. Um, I know I've heard horror stories about people, you know, like, contracting it in college in their dorm rooms they're like lethargic so their buddies will leave them alone because they think that they're like hungover or something and then they come back the next day and and the the person is like passed away in in their bed it's like absolutely crazy yeah and it's it's funny too i want to comment on you uh you've said a couple of times now already oh i was lucky um because i also say that too um (laughs) because i didn't uh you know know, like you i didn't receive any damage to like my internalities right like i don't have any um like organ damage or anything like that i don't have any um damage to like my autoimmune system um and and we have friends that are meningitis survivors that aren't amputees but have sustained those injuries and um you know look man i would take being an amputee any day of the week um you know rather than having to worry about um you know, autoimmune problems and all of that stuff. And then like taking the medication for that and then worrying whether I not well, well, because I think at that point, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you take the medication that you're taking or whatever. It's pretty much just amount of, uh, an amount of, you know, time where like it's in it, I should say an inevitable amount of time when like, oh, well, when are my kidneys going to like, you know, my body going right. to start rejecting my kidneys, not, not like if it's going to happen, you know, um, so there's all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, I so we have, you know, obviously we both went through, like, bacterial meningitis. But I haven't, like I said, I haven't shared a ton about my story, so I'll go into it, like, a little bit here. Um, luckily, and I again, I use that term kind of ironically, um, you know, I went through all of this stuff when I was really young. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't remember um, any of that. Um, even though I'm a quiet amputee, um, from what I can remember, I never experienced, like, phantom limb pain um, or anything like that either, which I know is, like, uh, apparently pretty rare. Um, and, yeah, the this, this same thing, you know, they when the doctors went and took me back finally after kind of, you know, obviously there was a long period of time where they had no idea what was going on with me. Um, and, you know, like, I coded in the elevator. My pediatrician um, uh, intubated me in the elevator and saved me. Um, and then, you know, all that stuff happened. And they t- they, they, finally, I was air backed to, you know, the Shriners Burn Unit in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, so, burn, we're burn unit buddies there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, the, the surgeons and stuff came up to my parents and, and were like, hey, you know, um, don't worry if we're in surgery for a long period of time. That means that we were able to save more. And they came back in like 45 minutes. And yeah. we're like, yeah, we're done. So, (laughs) like, I mean, obviously, you know, um, you can see the result. Well, the people who are watching this instead of listening to it can see the result, um, if you haven't already, by listening to our other episodes. So, um, stuff like that. So, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what it was like contracting in college. Like, how did that Mm -hmm. affect, or how did that impact, you know... Your academics. How did that impact your your social life? Um, what what went what went on there? Yeah, it was it was crazy because it,
1: I was literally three weeks from graduating, and so I pretty much just had finals left to take. Okay. And uh, finals occurred while I was in a coma, so (laughs) it wasn't going to happen. I wasn't (laughs) going to be able to take any of the tests. Uh I I, I basically got a special dispensation from the chancellor of the University of Kansas. He just said, like, whatever grades he had at the time, that's what we're going to give him. And he's, you know, we're going to give him his degree. So I, I did technically graduate that year, but I didn't get to participate in the graduation ceremonies until the next year. The next spring and even then I couldn't walk I mean I was I was wheelchair uh, a wheelchair user at that time so it was it was a different experience than what I had imagined it would be but I was glad I mean at that point you're just happy that you survived and you're able to participate in any fashion but mm-hmm. yeah I mean it was it was wild because like on a campus like that when somebody gets a contagious disease mm-hmm. it becomes everybody's talking about it, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I was very lucky that a friend of mine had checked on me that morning and insisted that I go to the doctor, and he he actually took me to the student health center, which is not where you want to go when you have, you yeah. know, the life-threatening illness, but none of us knew what the heck was going on. But, yeah. So at the student health center, they, they pretty quickly put me on an ambulance to an actual hospital, but my friend Clay, who had brought me in, they wouldn't let him leave initially mm. because they were fairly certain that this is what I had, this, mm-hmm. you know, very serious contagious disease. And they were like, "Well, he's been exposed now," <laughs> so they essentially, you know, kept him in a room until they could get um, antibiotics, prophylactic antibiotics for him to take. Okay. So, like, if you've been exposed to meningitis the good thing about it is that usually it still responds to normal antibiotics and you know there's been a few cases recently that i've heard of of antibiotic resistant meningitis which is pretty frightening yeah then you wouldn't have any treatment yeah (laughs) but in most cases it's still the type of thing where if you catch it early enough and you get those antibiotics on board you're going to be okay so that's what they did with clay just in case like hey he's been exposed if he's You know got a latent early stage infection let's give him these this cipro and then they told him like we need you to help us get in touch with everybody that he lives with so they had a meeting at this this hall that i lived at with 50 other guys they gave you know offered all of them cipro and then the student health center and the county health department also scheduled meetings with everybody that i had classes with and everybody that i worked with at the school paper and so, like, they weren't using my name in any of these meetings mm-hmm. for privacy reasons, but everybody knew who they were talking about because yeah. I was the one who wasn't there. Yeah. And so, like, it was, uh, I went from being just a, you know, completely anonymous student to being the meningitis kid, <laughs> like, immediately, <laughs> within days. And, I mean, in a way, that was good, especially for my family, because you know I was unconscious, mm-hmm. but they, they lived in Minnesota, and they didn't really know hardly anybody down here in, in the Kansas City area. And then suddenly they were, you know, there at the hospital for months and months. And they had sort of like a built-in support system just because of all these people who had heard what had happened to me and wanted to help. And there wasn't really much of anything they could do. For me, yeah. but they could at least try and support my, my parents and my, my brothers and my grandma, all of whom, you know, completely put their lives on hold for the better part of a year to just be like there helping me adapt to what had happened. So Yeah. It was it it was definitely like a change, a shift, but I gotta say, like the, the people at the University of Kansas were I mean, not on, not only on the campus, but the hospital that I was at was affiliated with the university as well, and mm. you know they saved my life, and then all of the all the people from the you know undergraduate campus really were amazing in, in, in helping me get through what I went through. So uh. um, I think in the end, it was it was a bit of a blessing that that's where it happened, um, simply because there was a, you know, a real sense of community and a a lot of people that rallied around me.
0: That's good. You know, it's good to hear because I have a very sour taste in my, in my mouth about academia, like in general. (laughs) So I'm really glad to hear that there was an academic setting, uh, and you know, that it had such a profoundly positive, uh, impact on your life. Um, so speaking about like, you know, transitioning from, um, you know, a non-disabled person to a disabled person as a result of bacterial meningitis. Um, I want to talk a bit about, you know, we spoke a little bit off camera beforehand, um, but now we can uh, make the public privy to, to um, our discussion. Uh, I want to speak a little bit about um, prosthetics, uh, just because I've had, like, not so great of an experience with them, Um, so if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about um, prosthetics, you know, what was it like um, when, you know, your uh, physicians and stuff, like, started recommending them, and then, like, when you tried them out and things like that Right, so, I mean I've got two sets of issues
1: here, i got my lower limbs I wasn't able to you know, stand or walk with what was left of my feet after the amputations, so for that I couldn't really be fit with, you know, what people think of as a traditional leg prosthetic, mm-hmm. which is usually a baloney, mm-hmm. um, you know, fake leg. Yeah. Um, so I had, I was fitted for these custom made orthotics. They're called AFOs, ankle foot orthotic, with a toe filler. So it's essentially like a piece of foam mm-hmm. that fills in for where my toe should be. And, um, And then I sort of eventually graduated away from that, which allowed me to stand and walk but not be super mobile to what I have now, which is kind of like a hybrid. Like I have the orthotic portion, which just fits around my, what's left of my leg Mm -hmm. and my foot. And that comes up almost to my knee. So that's made of carbon fiber and it's very like stiff and sturdy. Mm -hmm. And then... On the bottom of that, I have a foot plate, which is like what you would find on a baloney prosthesis. Okay. But it's so it's um, it was very springy. Uh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that yeah. gives gives me a lot more ability to to ambulate or walk, as the common person would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a big upgrade for me because with the first thing, with the toe filler and the ankle foot orthotic. I was kind of just like stepping, very flat-footedly, mm-hmm. kind of plodding, and uh, the the uh, the footplate for the for the baloney prosthetic is much more. It's more much more natural gait. It's more like, you know, you you roll from you strike on your heel and then kind of roll forward, and it pushes okay. you forward as you go. So yeah, that I love. That's been very helpful. Okay, and you know, it's been great for getting me up and moving. Um, The upper arm prosthetics I never really could adjust to. So because I have, you know, mostly just a a right thumb, Mm -hmm. uh, I tried to get fitted with a myoelectric hand on my left side. Okay. This was sort of like the early stages of, you know, myoelectric prosthetics. So this was a prosthetic that, It moved based on the the muscles in what was left is the stump of my left hand. Mm -hmm. When I would flex the muscles a certain way, it would open Mm -hmm. and flex them a certain way and it would close. Mm -hmm. And it was basically like a claw. I mean, the the fingers didn't move independently. Mm -hmm. And when I would put that thing over what Mm -hmm. I have left of my hand, I lose all sensation. So right now, you know, I can feel with what's left of the palm of my left hand. Mm -hmm how tightly I'm gripping something. I mean, I'm usually using both hands, but... Yeah. And I can feel if it's slipping. I can feel if it's hot, uh, if it's wet, if it's cold. And all of that is gone once you're wearing that prosthetic thing. Yeah. So after less than a year, I just sort of put that aside, and it became like a super expensive paperweight. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. It's,
1: it's kind of sad that, you know, for the amount of, like... Yeah resources and time that yeah. people spend making it it just wasn't very functional for me um so yeah. i put it aside and i sort of learned to do things just with what's left of my hands mm-hmm. and so now like i said earlier even though i know the technology has improved a lot i know they have models now where the fingers do move independently and where like there is I, they're they're really working hard to provide some of that sensation yeah um that, that, is, that was missing in the earlier versions, but I don't know, at this point, I'm just not super motivated to try that stuff out. Yeah. We, it, was a, it was a frustrating experience with the first one, and yes. it sort of soured me on it.
0: Yeah, I think that frustrating is, like, very apropos, um, right? Like, I I have very much the, the same experience. You know, we were, um, you know... <laughs> I I guess, like, unfortunate to contract when we did and become amputees when we did because the technology now is, like, crazy, right? But, um, you know, it does blow my mind, though, because both you and I, uh, pretty early on, our physicians uh, or therapists or whoever it was was like, yeah, prosthetics, they're the way to go. And um, I always tell people when I talk to them, especially if I'm speaking to, um, you know, people who are like future physicians and all that stuff like talk to the person and see what they're like comfortable with like like come on you know um that whole process can be very traumatic because you know you're going to be fitted with like fake hands and feet and arms and legs right and um You know, if you're feeling pressured to be in that situation, right, like you're feeling pressured to perform in that very specific way. And for an amputee who isn't comfortable with prosthetics, um, if you don't feel like they're working for you, um, I don't, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was little that I felt like a, a pretty big sense of guilt, right? I'm like, you know, right. this is this is what I this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I have the wheelchair that's super comfortable to me, but like I was almost ashamed and upset that my wheelchair was more comfortable comfortable to me than my prosthetics were and then you know on the other end of that a lot of physicians I think are kind of like you know to use a a weird term in this situation are kind of trigger happy with like the idea of prosthetics right because it's like you know something uh, our bodies Andy like don't look like other people's bodies right like we literally have parts that are missing um and so I feel like um physicians that are more you know like by the book and all of that kind of stuff they see that we have like quote-unquote unwhole bodies right and so it's almost like i get the impression that they want to like fix us and like prosthetics will like make us whole and we'll like this will allow you to walk like you know how you did when you before like how you should and you know the, the the problem that you know i would like to to posit to like physicians and stuff like that is like There is a healthy way to walk and all of this, all of that kind of stuff. There is a healthy way to, like, use hand functionality and all of that kind of stuff. There is not a right way or a wrong way to be ambulatory, right? There is not a right right way or a wrong way to occupy your amputee body. Um, And I think that that's something that's, like, super important that a lot of people don't really talk about and, you know, is just, like... Yeah, really weird um i think we're running a little bit to the end of the rope here but i did want to get to something that uh you and i have you know kind of like a similar uh sense of humor when it comes to like our disabilities and all this stuff so i w- i wanted to pause it If i had, if i had a fist my chin would be resting on it right now um, so so andy what do you think now about how uh, there is just a meningitis vaccine after all what you and i have gone through <laughs>
1: I mean, I have been pushing for people to get that vaccine since 2004 now. Yeah. It's happened to me. I've Mm -hmm. been, I think, uh, within a month of getting out of the hospital, participated in a news conference where I, you know, pretty much said, like, straight out, like, hey, KU should be requiring this shot and every college should follow suit. And, um, you know, we've, We've had some some good success with getting some states on board with requiring the meningitis vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've I've had some setbacks also. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more, it seems like oddly enough, mm-hmm. like there's a, a, a growing resistance to vaccination. But I, I mean, I got to tell you, like <laughs> if there is any way to avoid all of this with just a simple shot, yeah. I. I would have taken it in a heartbeat.
0: It's, because, dude, it's violent, man. Like, people don't realize yeah. how, how act- like, okay, if people think, like, oh, you know, like, meningitis, it's like, it's bacteria or whatever. Like, it is violent. It's nasty. Like yeah. you like you said, you know, sitting there, you know, how long you sat there with, you know, uh, this is really, you know, like graphic or whatever, but you sat there essentially with dead limbs, right? Yeah, that that were yeah. bleeding and all of that stuff and that's They were
1: rotting while still attached to my
0: body. Yeah, and I mean like like come on people like so yeah, like uh, don't anti-vaxxers look, don't come at us. <laughs> but <laughs> right. but yeah, you sure, know like yeah. you you and I have done some advocacy advocacy work too, you know, together related to, you know, fighting for um you know uh, to, to make the the meningitis vaccine you know like uh, required by law and we made some strides you know like now I, I know that like most colleges and stuff like that because they have people that live in dorms and stuff like that they you know they they require um, you know at least down here in my like Uh, with my college they like required everybody to have the meningitis vaccine but like not too long ago it wasn't it wasn't the case and then and then somebody at my college ended up dying from it and they're like huh maybe this is a little bit of a problem
1: yeah it's so sad that that's usually the way it happens yeah that is you know you gotta wait for somebody to get it you know seriously ill or even for there to be you know an outbreak where multiple people yeah but I mean, I'll just say, like, I went to bed the night before thinking I had the flu. You know, I felt kind of crummy, but no big deal. Yep, Yeah, me too. And by the the next morning, could not get out of bed. Physically could not walk on my own because I was so sick and my limbs were already that damaged. And so, like like I said, if my, my buddy hadn't come and checked on me that morning, I probably would have died in my bed.
0: It's, dude, I'm telling you, like, meningitis is so fast, like, for, for both of us, right? Like, and I think that pretty much anybody with meningitis can say that, like, if things hadn't happened the exact way that they did, mm-hmm. like, we, we were literally probably, like, minutes away from just dying. Right.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, that first hospital that I went to, you know they knew that they couldn't deal with with what I had and they wanted to transfer me to Kansas City and they were like we're not sure if we can get the helicopter or not and they were able to get it and that probably saved me, you know, a half hour on the road in an ambulance and that could have been enough, you know, right there to to kill me. Yeah, yeah,
0: I was medevaced too um, to to the Shriner's burn unit in Cincinnati, I believe. Yeah, so it's it's, no joke, people. So, uh, Get vaccinated for like everything that you can. Yeah, um, but yeah. definitely, you know, like look into getting vaccinated for um, you know meningococcal, meningitis, all of that kind of stuff. So, Andy, uh, unfortunately, we are running uh, at the end of our uh, our time right here. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been so great to catch up with you. Um, and you know, I'd like to talk a little bit more about uh, about you know, like prosthetics and all of that stuff and maybe organize, um, you know, uh, oh, I spoke with you, I think about it on Facebook where, you know, organize like a, a, a meningitis survivor type thing, maybe get everybody on a call and talk and talk about, um, all of our experiences and stuff like that. Um, yeah,
1: we should do that.
0: Yeah. I think it'd be super fun. So anyway, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, uh, for you know for me and on behalf of my co-host christine who, who couldn't make it today so um yeah anyways everybody um thank you so much for tuning in to uh this episode of the disables report uh on behalf of the disables network um i'm kyle and uh andy thank you so much again for being here everybody we'll see you uh, on the next episode take care